Welcome to episode 514 of Salcedo Paranormal. And tonight I'm continuing my review of the complete books of Charles Fort. As always, you can find all episodes of the show along with links to social media and other ways to contact me at the podcast page. And that is salcedoparanormal.podbean.com. That's S-A-L-S-I-D-O Paranormal dot podbean.com always happy to hear from you all whether you have comments or questions or topic suggestions or stories of paranormal experiences whether they're your own or from others that you trust happy to either read those or have you join me on the show to talk about them thank you all for listening whether you are here for the live streams on discord or if you listen to the podcast or youtube feeds or if you listen to the show on the Trouble Minds Radio Network, KUAP Digital Broadcasting. There you can hear replays of two episodes of the show every night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, right before Trouble, Mind, uh, excuse me, Trouble Minds Radio comes on. And as always, I'd like to thank Michael Strange, host of Trouble Minds Radio, as well as Liam Martin, host of the Exile Minds podcast, for producing the shows and putting them up on the station, along with all the music that you hear there. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, there are some different ways to do that. You can always share the show with others and rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find some paranormal fiction and nonfiction books I've written over on Amazon. Or you can join my Patreon page, uh, any of the membership levels there, and uh, get one extra episode of uh, True Paranormal Stories from the Web uh, every month, starting this month. I'll be putting out one out soon, and there's already one there from last year, and uh, again, that's available to any of the membership tier levels that you, you find there on that page. Or if you'd like to just make a one-time donation, you can do that through PayPal. Uh, again, apologies that I don't have any other options available right now for making donations, but due to uh, my low vision and um, some technical difficulties I've had before with other uh, platforms, uh, PayPal is the only one so far that seems to be working for me. So, um, But I think that takes care of all that. Again, thank you all for being here and listening, and um, it's good to be back here doing these shows again. And uh, I think that takes care of everything. And this is another um, episode in the, a long series now of shows I've been doing where I've been reviewing the, um, basically, summaries written by uh, AI of the chapters in all of the books written uh, by Charles Fort on just anomalous events, uh, reports of events. And these go back to the 1800, I mean, late 1800s early 1900s, so uh, this is long before any of your common sort of um, the way people think of UFOs today or a lot of things today. These are just reports of things that um, people made back then that seem in some cases similar to what we hear about now, but other cases maybe not so much. And um, so let me get to the file here. And again, these are um, summaries that uh, I had 
an AI program write, and um, based on the material from these books. And what I do is I just uh, read these summaries, and then I talk about the things that they talk about. And uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into this. So when we left off last, we were in not too far into the third of the four books, uh, which is called Low, just L-O. And um, so we'll get back into this here. This is chapter seven of that book. This book, um, it really focuses on, I guess you could say, one of the mechanisms of a lot of the experiences, uh, which uh, a lot of the reports, which seems to be uh, teleportation, basically in one word. Um, objects appearing out of nowhere in, in one area when they weren't there before. So this chapter seven here, uh, Charles Fort questions the idea that certain uh, postures and behaviors are inherently degrading or animal-like, such as eating grass. He describes a mysterious invasion of giant African snails in, uh, let me see here, a place I'm not sure, I've never heard of before, Kalutra, and... Uh, that's a comma there, and then Ceylon, C-E-Y-L-O-N. I don't even know where that is. Um, in 1910, says that attempts were made to conventionally explain their sudden appearance uh, from a small introduction decades prior. But again, um, this is apparently a large amount of these, a large amount of these uh, giant African snails. Fort uh, expresses skepticism at conventional explanations and identifies other simultaneous and localized anomalous appearances associated with some reported incidents. So again, going back to the idea of teleportation here. Stories are presented of anomalous appearances of animals in unlikely locations such as young crocodiles in England, seals in London parks, uh, snakes in the streets of London, and reindeer with human markings found only in uninhabited, I'm guessing a part of Germany here, I'm not sure how you say that one name, but in an area where they're not known to be, I guess. Says the possibility is raised that some phenomena could be examples of teleportation or transport between distant locations via unknown means. Uh, Explanations appealing only to chance or normal explanations are questioned. And again, this is the AI talking about what Fort has written. Uh, It says, the data leads Fort to contemplate the possibility of an organized macro-scale process of life distribution and phenomena uh, production beyond conventional understanding. That's that chapter. And I think um, this is something that gets talked about a lot, is that, that maybe these appearances of what seem to be out of place 
objects or animals are part of a natural process. I think this is an idea that Fort tries to put forward that it may make sense in ways that we just haven't figured out yet. Or it may be part of a process that maybe made sense before, but not so much now uh, in that these things maybe did help areas before, but maybe these kinds of sudden appearances don't help now so much due to the changing of the world, basically of, of due to a lot of different factors there. So anyway, I don't really know how to explain any of this, but it's fun to try anyway. Um, let's see here. Moving on to chapter eight. Uh, it says this passage discusses the difficulty of making definitive judgments about data and claims. Fort acknowledges there is no absolute way to judge stories about unusual phenomena. He rejects the idea that pragmatism can provide guidance, arguing that it only describes arriving at a destination rather than guiding one there. That's a neat idea. Uh, Fort presents his view that thought is a phenomenon of the era it exists in. I don't... Hmm, okay. He notes barriers to rational thinking like uh, continuity and individuality. The passage also discusses how reputations and prestige can survive being proven wrong using the example of astronomers claiming to discover Lowell's proposed planet only to be repeatedly wrong about its location and orbit. Um, I don't know what planet you're talking about there, but anyway. Um, let's see here. Looking at the rest of this here. Okay, so it says Fort is skeptical of mathematical astronomy given its inability to consistently determine facts about the supposed new planet. So I'm guessing there must have been this idea of a different planet around this time period, late 1800s or early 1900s, that I'm not aware of, which that's no, not really a surprise. I'm not aware of a lot of things. Uh, he argues that uh, photographic astronomy can be interpreted more flex flexibly. So in summary, the text questions the certainty of judgments especially those based on mathematical claims, given how often such claims are later contradicted or disproven. So um, let me just check on the chat real quick here. Hopefully you all enjoy these book reviews. I, um, I don't pretend to understand everything in, this, in these books, but it's been a lot of fun going through them and trying to see what I can wrap my mind around. So... Um, let, let's see here. Moving on to the next chapter here. Uh, chapter 9, I believe. Let's see here. Yep, chapter 9. Um, this text discusses strange animals and creatures that have allegedly been, uh, been seen throughout history, challenging mainstream scientific explanations. 
Uh, it mentions the uh, Jersey Devils located in, uh, reported in New Jersey, New Jersey uh, as well as a strange creature exhibited in London in 1878 with a boar-like head and curly tail. Um, it talks about reports of large unknown creatures in Australia and South Africa in the late 19th century. It uh, discusses remains of an unknown monster washed ashore in Scotland in 1908, described as having a large skull, unlike any known animal, and a three-foot-long tongue. That's pretty long. Uh, it mentions sightings of unusual creatures near the time of the 1886 Charleston earthquake, suggesting they may have been teleported from elsewhere. It talks about reports of hairy, fur-covered monsters seen in seas around Australia and New Jersey in the U.S. here, arguing they could not be ordinary sea creatures. Uh, it challenges paleontologist reconstructions of fossil remains, suggesting missing parts are filled in with plaster to, com uh, to fit conventional frameworks. Uh, let me see. Overall, the text collects reports of strange creatures, uh, I'm sorry, creature sightings and remains and uh, and to challenge the mainstream scientific views and suggest alternative explanations like creatures coming from other worlds. So in a sense, basically there he's talking about the idea of cryptids and cryptozoology, I believe, in a way. So, um, neat section there. Uh, chapter 10. The text discusses mysterious glowing objects or beings that have been uh, observed over the years in various places, including uh, Brown Mountain in North Carolina. And that's, of course, the Brown Mountain Lights. Uh, North Norfolk in England. And Low Urn in Northern Ireland. I'm not sure. I'm so, I apologize for not saying that right. Um, it says the uh, so Charles Fort is critical of scientists who have dismissed reports of these phenomena. So basically, these lights without seriously investigating them. In North Carolina, the luminos luminosities appear and disappear over long periods of time. When locals asked the U.S. Geological Survey to investigate in 1922, uh, geologists simply categorized the lights as car headlights or train lights or house lights or brush fires without looking into the actual mysterious lights. So, um, so it's going into each of those things I mentioned here. In North Nor Norfolk in 1907 to 1908, glowing objects like brilliant electric lights flew around fields. The theory they were luminous 
owls was put forth, that's the animal, but no convincing evidence was produced. I've never heard of a glowing owl, but I could be wrong. Um, locals continued seeing two bright lights even after one man claimed to have shot a luminous owl. Um, let's see here. I mean, I can see, I can understand like lights catching on different animals and making it look like they're glowing, but I don't know. That's, yeah, that seems odd to me. It says in Warwickshire, England, in 1923, intense moving lights hovered over a farmhouse. One returned a year later in Northern Ireland from 1905 to 1912. That's seven years. A motor lamp, so I guess headlight-shaped objects repeatedly appeared. Uh, Fort argues, I lost my spot. There we go. That scientists have been too quick to dismiss these phenomena as nonsense without seriously investigating them. Uh, he provides multiple examples where conventional explanations were uh, put uh, rushed to prematurely, while credible witnesses continued to report unexplained luminous objects in their areas. And that's the end of that chapter. Also, I've always had a hard time with the whole credible, not credible thing. But that's just my own problem, I guess. Um, so that chapter is really amazing there, just to, just to stop for a second. Uh, because to me, lights are one of the most fascinating things out there in uh, what they are and how they work and and how often they're seen and explanations for them or attempts at explanations. Um, just And they're just seen in so many places. I, I, I've talked about this before a lot, so I won't uh, go over it too much again, but it does seem like all around the world lights are seen in all kinds of places. And I'm sure some of them can be explained by reflections and regular mundane objects, but um, I don't think that all of them can be explained that way. I would be very surprised if that was the case. So I think we have time for one more chapter here at least, maybe two. We'll see. Um, getting back to this document here. Um, let me find my spot. Okay, so chapter 11. This says, the text discusses Mysterious lights seen in the skies over England and Wales in 1909. Numerous reports came in from witnesses across the country. And again, this is early 1900s before, as far as I know, any kind of um, major air travel was uh, possible yet. Any kind of aircraft, except for, I mean, guess, I know there's airships that were, I believe, being made around that time. But overall, that's, I believe that's pretty rare. Uh, so as various explanations were offered, including a um, advertising stunt involving suspending lanterns from a kite or imitation airship. However, the 
text argues that this does not seem plausible given the widespread locations and distances between sightings. Uh, there was speculation the lights could be vehicles from other worlds, uh, but newspapers were reluctant to publish for fear it would seem too sensational. Imagine that. Can't be anything from other places. Can't have that. No. Sorry. Sarcasm. Um, a man named Lithbridge claimed to have seen a tube-shaped craft with foreign-speaking occupants land briefly, but he was considered an exploiter seeking publicity. And again, I always say, I, I don't doubt that those kinds of people exist that do exploit things, but also, what if that one time they weren't doing that and they saw something strange? Anyway, says, an imitation airship was found in a field with a manufacturer's advertisement card attached. This was presented as the solution in the press. However, the text argues this is not very plausible given the lights were reported across distances of 200 plus miles on the same nights. Uh, the lights then abruptly stopped being reported after the discovery of the advertisement airship. So I wonder if does that mean the lights did stop and for different reasons, or um, did they stop because people just didn't want to report them anymore? And did they really stop at all? But anyway, it says, overall, the text argues the mysterious lights remain unexplained and suggests they could be uh, luminous, uh, luminosity related to the seemingly living things reported in the prior chapter. So, let me check on how long chapter 12 is. Um, let me see here. So we'll try to squeeze this one in. Oh, maybe not. That's kind of cutting it close. So yeah, that's where we're, um, I'll stop with the sum reading the summaries today. But um, yeah, so for anyone that hasn't heard a lot of my shows, I've had experiences with the blue light that I've seen several times in the sky. Um, and I always felt a presence with it. And the last time I saw it, I actually saw two of them at the same time sort of moving around each other in, in the sky. And it was amazing because uh, it was cloudy out. But, and so there was this one patch of the sky in the clouds that was lit up. And it was blue like the light that I had seen before, but it wasn't as bright. But within that, that patch of blue, there were these two blue lights, brighter than, than the rest of that patch. And they were moving around each other, and I felt two presences from them. And they moved for a little while, and eventually one either moved behind the other or into the other, the same space as the other, I'm not sure. And um, and then the, all the light started to fade, and I felt the presences fade. So I don't know how to explain all these things, but I've seen 
and felt these presences and these lights too many times to just write it all off. If it had just been lights, I could do that. Um, I could write it off as drones or planes or any of those things, satellites, planets, whatever, but not so easily with all that. So, but that, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all on the next episode of Salcedo Paranormal. Take care.